This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode number 70. Today, our special guest is Nancy Beal. Nancy is the president of Beal & Associates. She's an executive health IT leader and a clinical informatics executive. We talk with Nancy about the past, present, and future of health information technology and the impact on clinical practice. Stay tuned. Hi, healthcare leaders. I'm Tracy Christofferson. And I'm Michelle Trosett. We're your hosts for Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we are so grateful you joined us today. You're about to see healthcare problems and challenges through a brand new lens and take your leadership to a whole new level with this podcast. We've coached healthcare leaders from across North America for over 30 years as they strive to establish healthy healing organizations and thriving work cultures. This is the only podcast that shows healthcare leaders how to apply polarity thinking the missing logic in healthcare to their reoccurring challenges so they can stop wasting time, money, and resources on fixes that fail. If you want to create a healthy healing organization where staff and leaders thrive and perform at their highest level, where values are aligned, outcomes are sustainable, and the highest quality of care is delivered, then this podcast is for you. Keep listening. Each week, you're going to learn how to leverage a polarity mindset and manage competing priorities as we use a polarity lens to explore everyday challenges with the leaders who are striving to manage them. We're thrilled you're here. Hello, this is Michelle. And Tracy. And we just wrapped up a great interview by our colleague, Nancy Beal. Yeah, she's she's such a sweetheart. <laughs> she, is. she is. And she's such a wise woman, right? Yeah. Yeah. On 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 a path to become wiser. <laughs> yes, she is, kindred spirit of mine. Yes. Yeah. She she's is. pursuing her doctorate degree and and uh she's just made that decision. And I you know I spoke on a panel uh with Nancy at Hems. This just came back to me. Um and she said, she announced the decision to work on her doctorate, and someone asked, what was the best thing that you've experienced in your career? And Nancy's response was, I hope I haven't experienced it yet. Oh, that's great. Is that a great response? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it was really kind of fun to walk down memory lane. It was kind of like a technology memory lane. <laughs> You know, what we've experienced, where we are today. It was really kind of fun. Yeah, it was. It was. Kind of brings all these memories back, right? Yeah, and she kind of clued us into what's happening in uh, current state, right, with some of the technologies that are, you know, there and coming. Yeah. So that was exciting. Yep, the great hope of technology for practice and humanity. Mm -hmm. So she's carrying the flag, and we're with you, Nancy. That's right. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest, Nancy Beal. She is a healthcare professional um, for 35 years. Her experience spans clinical operations, vendor perspective, consulting, and IT operations. Her work is nationally recognized and award-winning, most recently as the 2019 HIMSS A&I Nursing Informatics Leader of the Year. That was a big recognition for Nancy. Uh, as an IT executive at NYU uh, Lang Own Health, she led the successful development and execution of the clinical IT strategy for the entire system, as well as the clinical IT strategy and execution to support merger and acquisition activity of the health system. 
And in her role as vice president, Nancy provided leadership and guidance over the clinical systems team and the clinical IT implementation of a new and fully digital hospital in Manhattan. And I remember when she was doing that, and it was just so exciting to have a fully digitized hospital. As a clinician, Nancy has worked across the continuum of care, including long-term care, acute care, in medical surgical, inpatient, obstetrics, labor and delivery, and ambulatory care. And since leaving direct care in 2002, Nancy has held a variety of roles in health IT, including clinical lead in the implementation of software, program director, executive consultant, senior director, and vice president roles. She currently serves in policy roles for both the Alliance of Nursing Informatics and the Nursing Knowledge Big Data Workgroup, and she is also one of two nurses serving on the National Da Vinci Clinical Advisory Boards, and she holds additional memberships in multiple professional organizations, including AONL, AMIA, ANI, ANIA, HIMSS, and SIGMA, to name a few. Nancy holds a master's degree in nursing with an emphasis in health systems and healthcare informatics and is board certified in nursing informatics. She is currently a PhD student at the University of Wisconsin-Madison focused on clinical technology adoption and nursing. Nancy's desire to impact change in healthcare as a lifelong learner, along with her professional experiences, have positioned her well as an advisor for strategic systems leadership, and certainly as a guest on our podcast. So without further ado, here is our interview with Nancy Beal. Well, welcome, Nancy. We are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We've been looking forward to this for quite some time now, so the day is finally here. Yes, we have. (laughs) So we always kind of start out with our guests with just a little banter back and forth, and you and I are kind of kindred spirits when it comes to owning your own company and being in a a PhD program, right? So tell us kind of what got you started on your PhD well, um, interesting. I, I've had an opportunity to see and experience healthcare across our country. And I've been very privileged to work with some of the best leaders in healthcare in our country and in, both inspired by them as well as encouraged by them um, for me to share what I've learned in my travels. And so really, I want to be able to contribute to my profession, uh, both nursing as well as the greater health IT world. And, you know, as kindred spirits, I know how much time it takes to work on a PhD (laughs) and to own your own business. So what the heck do you do for fun? (laughs) Ah, good question. Well, I really like to bike. Um, I've also taken up hiking and I like to spend time with um, family and friends when I have a chance. Oh, that sounds awesome. It does. It does. Good for you. So, Nancy, um, as a colleague, we've been colleagues for a long time. We don't have to tell people how long, <laughs> but it's been a while. <laughs> and uh, and I uh, just so appreciate you and all of the work that you've done. And we also know that you're a loyal podcast listener and that you're aware that one of our passions that we speak about is the crux polarity between the technology platform and the practice platform. And um, it actually has evolved into one of eight crux polarities um, in our Healthy Healing Organization H2O framework. 
And as you are aware, we've highlighted other nurse informaticists on our podcast. Um, we had Dr. Susan McBride and Mary Tietzan, uh, where they really talked about their statewide study, which was episode number 21. We've spoke about it as a foundational polarity in episode 12. And uh, Dr. Kathy Ivory uh, shared her experiences in the field and actually described it as the tug of war between practice and technology in uh, episode number 29. So we are thrilled to have you on our podcast today because um, we know that your area is really around um, technology adoption and nursing practice. So we would love for you to tell our listeners um, what your research is about and why you're studying this area. Sure. Um, Well, as a nurse and health IT leader, I've been engaged in many technology implementations um, across the country. And what I've observed is varying levels of adoption of said technologies. And we spend so much time and money and human resource effort on all these tools that we think we're going to address quality, safety, efficiency, and satisfaction. But we're not always going back to see have we really addressed them we kind of just keep going right and after we that substantial investment of resources a lot of times we find out that some new technology that we've implemented isn't even being used or workarounds have been developed and those workarounds actually kind of defeat the entire purpose of the technology So I am genuinely interested in ensuring that when technology is introduced into the clinical care environment, that it really enhances the care and outcomes for healthcare organizations and patients. Um, And really, for me, it's about making a difference. This, to me, um, as you all will know, is my greater purpose. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's awesome to be able to do work that really you're aligned with, right? And that mm-hmm. is so purposeful for you. Yeah, yeah. And what a what a novel concept to evaluate what's been put in use. <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, a lot of times people will do that, organizations will do that initially, um, but not in an ongoing fashion and certainly not in a in a measurable standard. Right. Yes. So that they're they're looking to standards to say, have we looked at these five items on every kind of technology, not just did we put the EHR in and is it working? Right. Are the lights on? Right. I would concur with you. There's a lot of need in that area and um, really exciting about the contributions that you're going to be making um, to to. To do that in a meaningful way over time, to your point, it's it's hard to sustain that evaluation process. Yeah. And um, so tell us a little bit about what positive outcomes have you observed when clinical practice stakeholders work together with information technology stakeholders? What have, what have you seen in the field? Well, I was really privileged when I worked at NYU Langone to work with some wonderful clinicians and healthcare IT leaders. Um, And we worked very closely with clinical stakeholders as we designed and implemented new and innovative technologies, as well as cared 
did the care and feeding for the existing or legacy technologies. Um, I think it's important for the IT stakeholders to hear and see firsthand the pain points from the clinicians. And it's important for the clinical users to understand the possibilities and limitations of technology. Engaging stakeholders has resulted in more meaningful and usable solutions. And one of the these solutions that we implemented while I was there was a smartphone solution. We named the Clinical Mobile Companion or CMC. And it was more than just a phone because it was integrated with other technologies. So it became that tool that was efficient. It had integrated access to the EHR, a messaging system, alarm management, the nurse call system, and a real-time location system to locate equipment, clinical equipment. So this is one of many technologies that um, where clinical users were deeply engaged in the design and implementation. And the end result, was better for that engagement. Sure, when they have a say in how it's really going to serve them in their practice, that makes a big difference. That sounds like a phenomenal tool. Like the smartphone for the healthcare clinician. (laughs) It was very fun to implement. Oh, I bet it was. It sounds fascinating. I'd love to use it. I remember before we even had phones, right? When you were hollering down the hallway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it, it, it was an implementation that evolved over several years of trials and tribulations. So I don't mean to infer that it was simple and easy. Um, and there were uh, technology challenges along the way, physical challenges along the way. What version of the iPhone are you using? Is this so- all the software up to date? How are you going to carry it? Is it big and bulky? Um, so lo- lots of different uh, lots of different challenges along the way, but we overcame them. Yeah. Well, when you're working together, that's easier to do, right? Right. Because like you said, when the clinicians know what they need and they can communicate that and understand what the technology can provide, it just, you know, you, you can come together to solve those challenges versus right. working against each other, right, in some right. instances. So, yeah. Um, so so those are the positive outcomes, and those were many, really, and, and wonderful outcomes. But what about some of the negative consequences that maybe you've observed or experienced when people have over-focused on practice and neglected technology or vice versa? It's not always working together, right? Sometimes we're over-emphasizing one more than the other. And, and what have you seen around the negative consequences with that? Well, I can give you a... Uh, I have a many examples of challenges. Um, uh, some, a, a couple of quick um, examples that most organizations will be able to relate to is when users bypass the workflow that's been designed, they can also be bypassing the safety uh, that's been designed in that workflow and introducing risk of harm. And a common example of that is barcode medication administration, where the user may have printed a label and scan the label after they've administered the medication instead of during the medication administration workflow real time. So they miss those important alerts that are put in place for patient safety, such as medication alerts, allergies, dose warnings, the, you know, the intelligence that a system can offer is now bypassed. 
another example might be smart pumps. Um, when they're integrated, it requires real-time scanning of the pump and the EHR and the patient, as well as the medication. And if this workflow is done manually, you can introduce errors um, in uh, misprogramming the rate um, the medication, picking the wrong medication, um, numerous other potential safeguards that are put in place for patient safety. And what do you think it is that drives clinicians to bypass those workflows? Well, there are a number of things um, that can cause a clinician to bypass a, a workflow. Um, certainly, most of, of the time, I would say it is never out of malintent, but more so um, it might be a physical limitation. So I've uh, seen places where the workflow that was designed for barcode medication administration meant they had to drag a big workstation on wheels into the patient's room and they physically couldn't get that workstation in the room in some rooms. Mm. They couldn't get to the patient's bedside. So that's one example of where the physical limitations really drove their ability to use the system as it was designed. Oh, that's a great example. Yeah, it is. So, Nancy, there are, you know, there's been tremendous amount of focus on clinician burden and EHR documentation, as you're well aware, and we're well aware being in this area for a long, long time. And I'm going to mention just a few for our listeners uh, so that there's an appreciation how this has become more and more of a national uh, focus. Um, First of all, the 21st Century Cures Act was uh, really called Health and Human Services to establish a goal for burden reduction related to the use of EHRs, right? And they had to develop a strategy for meeting that goal and develop recommendations to meet that goal. And in that resulted in um, the ONC coming out with a strategy in February of 2020 on reducing regulatory and administrative burden related to the use of health IT and EHRs. And then uh, the National Academies of Medicine released a report in 2019 called Taking Action Against Clinician Burnout, and there was a whole chapter on technology and the role technology has played in contributing to uh, burnout, and there's been two perspective papers that have now been published on that topic. And um, more recently, the American Academy of Nursing Board has just approved for designated expert panel authors to write a manuscript about clinician burden related to electronic health record documentation and the subsequent moral distress uh, for nurses. So we've seen, as you, in the field, helping with implementation, but it's just had this increasing um, discontent of clinicians speaking out on the clinical burden of EHR documentation and um, just your perspective on that, what you've seen um, in your roles, and uh, how you hope your research will impact clinician burden, because I really think there's a connection there. Well, I think you can't monitor what you don't measure, right? And so if you begin to measure and monitor technology use and adoption more regularly, you will likely identify potential opportunities um, in the socio-technical work system using the human factors approach 
that will highlight where you have opportunities to improve. And hopefully this leads to a greater awareness, not only of where those gaps are, but then eventual Im improvements in system design and configuration. Because oftentimes, and if you talk to most people who have worked in um, implementation, whether it was in electronic health records or otherwise, um, there are so many configuration variables that the same EHR from one organization to another looks vastly different. And so the level of burden can be vastly different from one organization to another. Um, so great. I'm grateful to know that um, many organizations are now taking a look closely at this burden and where they have opportunities to streamline their tools. Yeah, and we've seen a big change with that, even with COVID, right? To streamline because of the, just the sense of urgency and the time that it takes to care for patients. And there's been some work on that as well. Yes, it'll be interesting to see after the pandemic um, what happens with some of those uh, technology um, strategies that were used during the pandemic to be more efficient. Because, you know, obviously you, you don't have time when you have an ED full of patients that need to be evaluated to spend 45 minutes on a patient admission. Right. And so I think we we can't we can't just say, well, during the pandemic, you don't need to do this. And then after the pandemic, go back and say, well, now the pandemic is over. You should go back to doing this. I think we need to say, so what are the differences in when we collected that information before the pandemic and after when we stopped collecting that? information. Were there differences in outcomes? So I think we really need to be um, evaluating that closely. Absolutely. Oh, I think that's a great recommendation yeah. because, again, to your point earlier, right, sometimes we just keep doing what we've been doing, right? It's like that story of cutting the end off the ham, right? <laughs> you just keep doing what you've been doing because you've been doing it, right? And without, like you said, without reflection, close evaluation, monitoring, measuring. We just keep doing what we've been doing yeah. because it seems to be working, right? Or it seemed to work. And uh, so, yeah, I think this has just been a, you know, been a lot of innovations and a lot of changes, but um, and, and to the good maybe, right? Mm -hmm. Stopping yeah. some of those practices um, may have been the best thing that happened. <laughs> we won't know till we measure it, right, Nancy? That's right. That's right. <laughs> now, is there any research that you're aware of that's being done on the burden um, of other that other healthcare clinicians carry? I mean, we hear a lot about nursing, we hear a lot about physicians, but there's a lot of other members of the team. You know, I'm a respiratory therapist. So, like, are you aware of any research around those burdens that other clinicians carry, or is it pretty similar? I I think it's. Uh, perhaps similar but different, right? The tools might be different, but the burden is similar. And so um, what you see in um, uh, some publications, like the National Academy of Medicine published a report on professional well-being called Taking Action Against Clinician Burnout, a Systems Approach to Professional Well-Being. Um, and 
Although there are certain places within that document that they refer to physicians or nurses, there are many places that where they refer to clinicians, right? S sort of trying to really look at it um, with a broader brush. Um, I, I think that really, um, you know, the challenge is very similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we use a lot of the same kind of, uh, well, when it comes to the HR, you know, there's there's a lot of different um, a lot of different systems, but many are moving towards that more interprofessional use of the same you know clinical system and rather than hybrid um, discipline specific systems, right? But um, yeah, so I, I mean, as a respiratory therapist, I wouldn't say my struggles were any different than anybody else's. Um, maybe. If I'm not using the same technology, right, then it would be like would I, be I didn't different. work with the IV pumps. <laughs> Keep my hands off of that stuff, right? <laughs> I think the fundamental principles are the same. If you think about um, what data is being collected and is it necessary and are you using standards, Mm -hmm. Right. So regardless of what your technology is, um, I think keeping those principles in mind, um, it really applies across domains. Yeah, good point. So um, we know the technology is more than the EHR, although it seems to take up a big space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you've already talked about the phones, right? But what other types of technologies hold promise for nurses and clinicians? And what are some of the key considerations for adoption and uh, satisfaction when it comes to other technologies for nursing? Well, I think um, more technology is evolving in the clinical setting every day, um, such as smart beds, right, as an example, where you can collect the weight and temperature and other variables like position of the bed, etc. Those can come across and be integrated um, with the EHR. Um, and I think more what we'll be seeing and have already started to see is merging of clinical and administrative functions, right? So that those systems can begin to communicate with uh, one another. In other words, don't make me document something and then check it off in another system so that it drops a charge, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Or um, being able to... Um, converge things like the on-call system that tracks who's on call, say, for a certain specialty, and integrate that with your messaging system. So I don't have to look at some other manual board or some other place where it's been documented, which might not be current and up-to-date. I can look at the same on-call list that the operator looks at, right? Yeah, because those systems are integrated and I can send a message to the right person or call the right person. Efficiencies. Yeah, efficiency. It's just um, I was going to say it just all comes down to make it easier for the clinicians delivering care. Yes, it's really, really important. Yes. Every step counts. Every step counts. That's right. Yes. I mean, really, it does. It adds <laughs> up, right? Right. Well, and that, I'll, I'll just share one more example. Um, when you say every step counts, one of the other technologies that I worked on at NYU Langone was um, a technology that was um, designed as a medication de delivery system or dispensing system similar to an automated dispensing cabinet, if you will, okay. but at 
the outside of every single patient room. So it was a digital medication drawer, if you will, that was specific to that patient. And um, what that meant is only that patient's medications were dispensed to that drawer. And it was controlled by a biometric, and that was integrated with the EHR, with inventory management. So now you have that full cycle of medication management really at the bedside. So you have the efficiency of the nurse not having to either run to the automated dispensing system. Yeah. Or um, uh, perhaps borrowing from a medication cart somebody else's medications, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We wouldn't do that, would we? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Those are great examples, Nancy. And actually, it speaks to the innovation that's happening, right? And innovation is such a hot topic uh, in healthcare today. It's just really interesting when you look at trends, and Tracy and I were talking this morning that just innovation seems to be everywhere. And um, from your experience, what are some key success factors in creating innovative partnerships? Um, You know, and it could be uh, more from an entrepreneurial perspective, like someone in the organization has a really innovative idea, and how do we help bring that forward? Or it could be an entrepreneurial perspective. And partnering with outside companies or outside organizations. So what are some of the success factors that you've seen? I think uh, the first thing you need to do is check your bias. Don't make any assumptions. Or if you have assumptions, make sure that you clarify them. I think it's important to listen more than you speak. Um, validate your message, whatever message it is that you're sending with stakeholders, analysts, designers, leaders, so that you ensure they heard what you intended them to hear, right? Okay, Mm -hmm. yeah. Everybody is on the same page, so communication is really critical. Test the workflow. Sometimes the design needs change or what you design doesn't really work as you or the stakeholders thought it might. So you need to be flexible and be willing to change. And then lastly, and very important, learning um, from the users, taking a human-centered design approach, you need to let go of what you know, right? right. Sometimes, sometimes we, especially in healthcare, hang on to a lot of traditions. Well, we have to do this because that's how we do it, right? It's so, so true. So I think um, for innovation, you have to let go of what you know and be open to new ways of doing things. That is such great advice, really, because you don't know what you don't know yourself. Like we always say that, uh, but there could be a whole awesome solution on the other side of what your assumptions are or what you think is the right thing. And that letting go is really an important piece of it. Well, I think people hang on when they highly value something that they have or they want, right? And that's when they hang on and they're less open to that innovation, right? Because they don't want to lose what they've already feel they have in whatever it is they're using or whatever they're doing. Um, You know, if they have a certain type of technology, they don't like to see change because they're comfortable. They like what they've got, right? And and for them, there's fear. So I think sometimes... Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if you've seen that, Nancy, where, you know, fears of the people involved can get in the way. Um, so it seems to me maybe um, 
some kind of approach as well that kind of brings the hope and promise of the new technology while um, kind of um, helping people to overcome those barriers or fears that they're feeling, right? So that they can be open. And oftentimes in my experience, that fear is coming from a place of experience. And so you, in order to overcome that, you need to build trust. And that's where that partnership or collaboration is so important between clinicians across the different domains of clinicians and between clinicians and uh, technology, whether it's the technology designers, the vendors, the implementers, uh, the analysts, right? And so um, I, I think trust is crucial uh, to overcoming that fear. Yeah. Well, and, you know, there's a, there's an individual responsibility, right, too, I think, in using the technology and being open to changing how you use the technology. Because just because you have the technology doesn't mean you're going to use it in the most effective right way. Um, and so, you know, I, I think about this when I think back to the EHR and how, you know, People would say, oh, it's getting between me and my patients. But it was really how they were using it in some regards that yeah. they created the barrier and how they were using it. And there were other clinicians that could take that same technology, use it a little bit differently, right? And not have it interfere at all with their engagement with the patient. So, you know, there's kind of that element too. What, what's your thoughts about that, Nancy? Well, I think that we have spent a lot of time teaching people how to use the tool, right? Where to click, what buttons to push, um, but not a how to engage with the technology and our patient. We don't often teach that. I rarely see that. I've worked with a couple of organizations who did some innovative practice, uh, around that as they were implementing where they brought in volunteer um, patients, right? Mm -hmm. And then they had um, their clinicians practice admitting a patient, practice doing an assessment, right, with the patient and the tools. And I think that that's, that's not done very often. We just don't teach people how to engage with patients and technology, and yeah. some naturally are able to do that. Some people, it comes more naturally. And yeah. others really yeah. struggle because they're so focused on pushing the right buttons. Right. Yeah. And that all impacts practice. And it's just, yeah. And it's such a, uh, such a, a missed step, a missed opportunity maybe, right, to give the clinicians that kind of education in addition to the technology education. Yeah. Well, and I, and I hope that we can evolve to that now, to your point earlier, Nancy, like we're in a different time and space now and, you know, we're moving past implementation and yeah, what are the best ways to integrate technology, become a partner with the technology so that you're, the practice and the technology are going together and, and actually measuring it, you know, monitoring the different approaches. Right. I think that, um, you know, there's a, a real difference when you see places that have people who are role models. And that's one way we can do that to say, you know, here's how you might engage with your patient. Um, 
but uh, without that, I, I'm afraid currently we still have a lot of focus on um, pushing the right buttons, you mm-hmm. know, and reducing the number of clicks, right, which tells you the focus is on the click, as opposed to, you know, and I, I think that it really also impacts patient satisfaction and their perception of their clinical caregivers, right? Uh, because, you know, how is it that the clinician approaches the use of the technology in the care of the patient? Is it, oh, I'll be right back. I have to go do this. Right. Or um, turning their back to the patient as opposed to, if possible, opening up the, right. um, you know, the technology to the patient and or family and say, I'm going to take a look at your laboratory results that just came in. Let's take a look at that and talk about what that means in your care, right? And using those as teaching opportunities with patients. But I think that um, while that might be the ideal, um, our clinicians have incredible um, patient workloads um, and are working under really stressful uh, situations. And so I certainly appreciate that and am, and don't want to uh, be thought of as a Pollyanna about how, how it should be because uh, I know it's difficult. Um, and there's probably a happy medium in there where we can do some improvement in how we teach people how to use technology, but recognize that they also have to take care of a lot of really sick patients. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And we know, we know the, we know the realities, <laughs> right? At the point of care, it's not always, uh, you know, what you would like it to be. Um, but I do think, you know, it just, to me too, it comes back to your personal preferences and your personal stories <laughs> about technology, yeah. you know, and what you're telling yourself about how helpful, how helpful, or how um, detrimental, right, that technology is to your ability to deliver care. So it's it's all, too, about perception. So it, there's multiple layers to this, I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? And, um, and technology can be your friend, <laughs> right? And it can, it serves a huge purpose, right? It, I mean, just think about it, you guys. When we were practicing early on, there wasn't, you know, one... I mean, there just wasn't the technology there is today. Not anywhere near the technology there is today. So, you know, and having to know how to use all that technology. And it's expensive, too, to train people, right? So, I mean, the picture's bigger, to your point, Nancy, than our little conversation about, you know, putting the computer here and facing your patient, right? There's a lot more that goes into all this, but... But it is important, right? And, And it does need attention. So, yeah, so... Um, so lastly, what is your biggest hope for the future of technology and practice? What would you love to see in the future? Well, my biggest hope is that technology becomes so seamless in helping you to care for patients and we return our focus to the patients and achieving better outcomes. So seamless that it's invisible and actually pleasant to use and enhances the patient care experience rather than impedes it. Ah, lovely. Yeah. Sounds like a great hope to me. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't want that, yeah. right? Yeah. I just love that whole seamless. Like it's just, 
it just is natural. It's just easy and natural. Yeah. Yeah. There are some new technologies out there that are making great strides um, to that end. Um, oh, that's encouraging. Yeah. 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 Huh. What would some of those be? Uh, ambient voice recognition that allows clinicians to just speak and patience, and it discerns the difference between what the clinician's saying and what the patient is saying, and it uses natural language processing to map a note or orders or, or instructions for the patient. And then it's really about the clinician and the patient again, right? And less about the technology, but the technology is doing that heavy lifting in the background. So I think there is hope for the future. I am hopeful. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. always been a dream of mine just to put like a headset on, like we got headsets on in our podcast studio and just kind of talk and have everything be recorded and not, you know, just skip a lot of steps. <laughs> so I'm encouraged too, Nancy, that that's being worked on now. That is fantastic. Yeah. How many times did we say, oh, if I could just talk into something and have it do all this, right? <laughs> like, Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. I can't wait to see what the future holds from a Me technology either. perspective. Me and either. I think, you know, I think the whole pandemic and everything, right, there's been a lot of, well, just look at all the innovation that happened around ventilators when we, we didn't have any, like, right? Yes. I mean, that was phenomenal to watch that happen, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And just what's happening right now with telehealth. Yep. So there's a lot of innovation happening around telehealth that I think, you know, to your point, Nancy, earlier, you can't go back and say, well, we got to go back to the way we did it before the pandemic. It's going to really change a lot, and it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been just such a pleasure to have you here with us and just to have this conversation with you. We're so impressed with everything you've done in healthcare and around technology and just feel so inspired um, by your words of wisdom and your uh, your thoughts about the future and the things that you've shared today. So thanks so much. Yeah, Nancy, thank you so much. And I think that uh, your work is going to contribute across different health professions. And I think it's very futuristic to reflect now and go back and just say what is working and how can we measure it and how do we how can we really have a usable standardized process to do that. So. I'm really excited to see the outcomes of your work and uh, really appreciate all you're bringing to the world of informatics. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure to speak with you. We're here cheering you on. <laughs> the end will come with a PhD. Dr. Nancy B. Yeah, it Dr. is a lot Nancy. of work. Dr. Oh, Nancy. Yeah. It will happen. I'm here for you. <laughs> you don't understand the journey till you take it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, is, there, is there any closing remarks or advice that you give to our listeners before we wrap up today? Well, I guess... I have great appreciation for all of the challenges that our clinical uh, users and clinicians on the front lines are uh, experiencing and enduring through this pandemic and appreciate all that they sacrifice and do every day. Likewise, all of the people in the background that are supporting all the technologies and have had to really ramp up very quickly to accommodate some of those um, rapid changes in telehealth 
um, a, a lot of people working very hard uh, to keep um, our healthcare organizations going and to meet the needs of all of the people who are not well. So I just have deep appreciation for them and uh, for uh, for folks like you who are engaging so many different people to um, uh, bring together ideas for the future. Oh, thank you, Nancy. Yeah, we're right there with you with the heartfelt for all of those people as well. And it's a wonderful way to end the podcast. Yep. Yep. So thanks so much. And we will... We'll see you again, and we'll yep. be there to celebrate with yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, we will. We'll cheer on you, and we'll be there for the celebration. We're not going to miss the celebration. No, we're not. <laughs> no, not You're, at all. We'll be invited. All not right. at all. All right. <laughs> all right, All right, Nancy. listeners, we'll see you on the next episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, as always, for listening to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We'd love to hear and answer your questions. If you have questions, you can email us at questions at missinglogic.com, and we may include your question in a future episode. You can find show notes and links at our website, www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you're the kind of leader who wants to help others, then share this podcast with your peers and other healthcare leaders. We're certain if you found value in it, they will too. Please share this on your social media channels and leave us a review in iTunes. If you don't know how to leave a review, you can find instructions on our website at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast.